Welcome to the Theology.fm podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Myers. Hey, today I'm introducing you to a new contributor to the Theology.fm lineup. As you know, I typically share with you podcasts and sermons and Bible studies that I hear in my own podcast listening that have been incredibly influential or meaningful to me, or maybe just help me see things in a new way, understand a Bible passage that I'd struggled with in my past, or that I thought might just be helpful for you as a listener, someone who's seeking to learn more about Scripture and theology and help your life look more and more like Jesus Christ. And so uh, one pastor who has really helped me in this way is my friend Ed Underwood. At the time of recording this, he has recently retired or resigned or probably none of those words are correct. It's more he passed on the torch at the historic church, Church of the Open Door in California. I don't know if you ever listened to J. Vernon McGee on the radio through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. Maybe you even have his commentary series. But uh, Ed Underwood pastored that same church, a historic church there in California. And um, he recently, though, stepped down from full-time pastoral ministry there, passed the torch on to another pastor who they had raised up in the church. I just love seeing church transitions that way. And he, Ed Underwood, is transitioning into the next stage of his ministry, next stage of his journey. And uh, he's going to go around and help church leaders, pastors, ministry leaders learn how to live in safe, authentic, and encouraging communities with the people that they minister with. He has a lot of experience with this, just some of the things that happened in his church past, church experience, even at Church of the Open Door. And uh, he's going to help other people do the same. Um, But he also has a podcast. It's the Discipleship You podcast. And uh, he's in it. He's currently teaching through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, sort of similar the way I do on my one verse podcast. I'm teaching through the book of Genesis right now, going verse by verse there. Probably going to stop after chapter four and move on to a different book, uh, just to give you a heads up on that. But uh, he's going to, I'm going to make sure I get some of his Galatians sermons here at the Theology.fm podcast in the future because they are so fantastic. I love his perspective on grace and Jesus and the centrality of both for our lives as Jesus followers. So make sure you stay subscribed to Theology.fm podcast so you can get some of these future episodes from Ed Underwood. But I just want to introduce you to him today. In a discussion I had with him recently, he comes up here to Oregon and teaches a a couple week-long courses over the course uh, a couple times a year over at a local Bible college uh, on the coast. It's a beautiful place, and every time he gets up here, I try to get over there and see him, and uh, we had a discussion. So recently when he was there, I sat down with Ed Underwood. We had a discussion about him, his life, his theology, his transition, what he's doing, and his future, and also some about his ministry at Recentered.life. Really encourage you to go check it out. If you are part of a church team, or maybe have been part of a church team in the past, and just have experienced a lot of pain that comes from that, a lot of disunity, uh, turmoil, struggles, strife, all of the infighting and backstabbing that can sometimes take place, not always, then go check out Recentered Life. It's recentered.life. Yes, it's not .com, .org, .net, nothing like that. They added a bunch of new, uh, called the top-level domains uh, into the internet last couple of years, and one of them is .life, 
Also, you're listening to Theology.fm. That's another one. Anyway, uh, .life is one, and he grabbed the domain name Recentered Life. And uh, you can go to the website, check it out, find out a little bit more about Ed, what he does, how you how he can help you with your own life and ministry, and uh, gaining unity and peace in whatever leadership team you're involved with. Anyway, I'm going to let him share more. So without further ado, let's tune in to my discussion that I've had uh, with Ed Underwood. I'm here with Ed Underwood. Hi, Ed. Hey, Jeremy. <laughs> and I don't know if too many people who listen to... This is for the Theology.fm podcast. I don't know if too many people who listen to the podcast might know about you, so maybe just share a little bit of who you are and your life, your ministry. All right. Yeah, I am my, uh, I pastor a church at the Open Door. It's an historic church in Southern California. It was started in 1915. We just celebrated our 100th anniversary. Hmm. Uh, we started 100 years ago, uh, Church of the Open Door and Biola University started together by an iconic uh, man by the name of R.A. Torrey, Dr. R.A. Torrey. And then through the years, it was downtown at 6th and Hope Street. And uh, then in uh, probably the, the pastor that most people remember is uh, J. Vernon McGee, through the Bible radio. He pastored there for about 20 years. Uh, also Talbot, Louis Talbot was a pastor there. Anyway, the church moved in 1985. The church moved up into the San Gabriel Valley up by Pasadena. And I came to Church of the Open Door in 1996. So I'm uh, the ninth pastor of Church of the Open Door. I've been there for 20 years. It's a, it's a bit of a remarkable story that I would be the pastor of this historic church. I'm a Jesus movement uh, convert from the late 60s, early 70s. Wrote a book about it, Reborn to be Wild. It's an insider's look at the Jesus movement, which was the last great revival in American history. Yeah. It was uh, thousands and thousands of us came to Christ, really penetrated the culture. And in fact, today, here we are, uh, and what, 40 years later, and many of the most significant parachurch movement, mission organizations, and, and even churches are pastored by these Jesus movement radicals. Like a lot of the Calvary chapels came out of Calvary there, Calvary chapels right? came right out of the Jesus movement. Yep. Calvary, uh, yeah, Calvary Chapel came out of there. And of course, and Maranatha music. Maranatha music. The vineyard movement came uh, out of that. The vineyard movement came out of that. Yep. There were... Uh, I mean, many, uh, uh, many of the missions, things like Overseas Crusades, Wycliffe Bible Translators. Mm. When I went to Dallas Seminary, I, went to Dal I was an Army officer. I had spent time as a firefighter, and then I was an Army officer. When I got out of the Army to go to seminary, I went to Dallas Seminary. I, went, I started there in 1980. I would say probably uh, almost half of us were Jesus Movement people who uh, had, uh, you know, get, started careers, finished those careers, uh, interrupted those careers, and decided to go to seminary. Hmm. Yeah, so it was had, had great influence. So you were right there in Southern California? I was in Southern California. I lived the Jesus in Cent Movement? Oh, yeah. I lived in Central California. Um, so I was, uh, the place where I grew up in Bakersfield, we're just north of L.A., but it was all overflowing, and uh, it was a true revival. I can remember, Jeremy, when I was a senior in high school in 1968, sitting in homeroom, and I'm, I was a pagan. 
I didn't know anything. You didn't grow up a Christian then? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Decidedly not a Christian. In fact, in, uh, before I became, I became a Christian in 69. So I graduated, I went all through high school not being a Christian. Uh, but, uh, I, and I can remember, you know, I was the angriest, think about it, 1968. When I wrote Reborn to be Wild, I did research and I realized that 1968, the year I graduated from high school, is the most uh, tumultuous year in American history. We assassinated Robert Kennedy, assassinated uh, Martin Luther King, Kent State was during that time, the Vietnam War, campuses were unrest. Where I went to, I went to UC Santa Barbara, they burned down um, the Bank of America there in Isla Vista outside of it. It was just a, you know, we were angry. And I remember, uh, you know, I had friends dying in Vietnam, and my only goal in life was to live hard and die young. That was it. There was a song by a group called, uh, anyway, the title of the song was Live For Today, and that was like our motto. I, I could care less. But I can remember in 1968, sitting in a homeroom, talking with two other pagan buddies, and debating with them the sovereignty versus free will thing because young life had penetrated our campus hmm. and people were coming to, I didn't know they were coming to Christ. I thought they were just becoming religious weirdos. Uh, and then in 1969, friends of mine were coming to Christ and it was through the ministry of young life that I came to Christ. Yeah, that's wow. a G, that was the Jesus do you think, movement. Do you think... Some of the tumultuous times of 1968 led oh, to the Jesus movement? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, we were a disenfranchised generation. You know, the history of the early yeah. church. It was a, it was a, the early church was slaves and soldiers. Right. They were all disenfranchised. They were people who were left out. And we had been left out. And, of course, we were angry. And uh, all of that was, and we were open to new ideas. Uh, but the reason I wrote Reborn to be Wild is that our, our, the Jesus movement was misrepresented. Hmm. People thought it was because, yeah, we did bring rock music into church, which a lot of people ought to thank us for. But uh, uh, anyway, but they think that it had to do with the rock festivals and the weirdness and that we were all wearing, you know, we all had long hair and Warachi sandals. All that was true. But the Jesus movement was really, it was all about discipleship. Yeah. all about discipleship. I can remember, uh, I, I'd been a Christian three weeks, and I was leading a Young Life Club of 200. That's, mm-hmm. how, that's how fast it went. And I, and I was meeting with a group of kids. I remember I met with a group of high school seniors at a park across from the high school, and we'd be studying the Bible. I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I knew absolutely nothing about the Bible. And we just stayed a block ahead of the hounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't thinking of asking about this, but since you're talking about sort of the tumultuous times of the 60s, late 60s there, compare that to our times today. I mean, you look at the news and just all the hate yeah. and the rhetoric and the, the different political sides and everything going on. Yeah. Is it comparable, do you think? I, I think it is. In some I, ways? Yeah, it was a very unhappy populace. And um, back then it was more generational than it is now. Um, yeah. Now it seems to be more, there's a, more of a political divide. Uh, conservative versus progressive. Then it was, you know, in the 50s, nobody, it was, everything was unexamined. Uh, nobody challenged anything. Nobody challenged authority. So it was more generational, the World War II generation, my parents' generation. They just, they just accepted and lived, and the average, you know, your only idea was, hey, we have a good life, it's good for us. 
And then we came along, and we were all younger. We were the ones pushing and, and challenging. And uh, so I think it was more generational. And right mm. now, it seems to be more almost economic now. And, Part of the reason I ask is I saw on your website, edunderwood.com, on your about page, something about how you'd like to see another revival. Another, I would. I really awakening. would. Do yeah. you think that sort of what's going on in our culture now could oh, be the first stages of that? Sort of like the 60s, late 60s led to the yeah. Jesus movement. Do you think that we could see something like that in the next decade or so? Yeah, I think we could. Or sooner? And, and you know from the time we spent together, I uh, there's a part of me that resonates with the whole emerging church group. Right. You know, I, I love the idea that they're trying to think of something fresh. Uh, the one thing I would say to anybody who's from that whole concept, the difference is, I think for there to be a revival, what happened with us is that the gospel penetrated the street. Um, the gospel came to us on campuses. The gospel came to us in neighborhoods. The gospel, I can remember surfing in Southern California and, you know, paddling out and waiting for a wave, and we'd all be sitting out there talking about religion. Hmm. You know, and there was some guy would come by who was a Christian and would say, Hey, we got a campfire. You guys want to go talk? Uh, and uh, what I see now with a lot of these people who, a lot of these young believers, the emerging church types, who really seem to have what I would say is a great passion to reach the culture and to speak in terms different uh, than what they grew up with. Uh, what I notice, however, is that they're all pre-churched uh, young people, and they know what they're against. They just don't know what they're for, and they're trying to think for the non-Christian. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're trying to think for the non-Christian. Here's what we should do to make Christianity relevant to them, and sometimes as they're doing that, what they're leaving out of that is the very grace of God and the very gospel that will attract them, hmm. and the difference was we had the people who were discipling us, were, they were asking us, how can we be more relevant? And, of course, we were telling them. And I think that had a lot to do with why that revival was so successful. Man, it wasn't, it was revival, but it was, it was geographically dispersed. So when I wrote Reborn to be Wild, I found out there were pockets. Southern California was huge. Seattle was a, was a pretty big place. Indiana, of all places, hmm. was big. Uh, New York, there are places in New York and New Jersey that were really big in the Jesus movement. The Bible Belt was absolutely nothing. Uh, nothing happened there. So it was more geographical, but it was, you know, people ask me, how would you define revival? I think it's when the gospel penetrates culture to the point that people are, everybody's talking about, talking about Jesus or religion or whatever. Penetrates culture where people are at. Themselves. Yeah, where people yeah, are. Yeah, and, it's, yeah. and it's a part of the conversation. You know, in Acts, uh, when Paul headquartered in, in the school of Tyrannus, it says there that in Acts 18, 9 through 10, that everyone in the Roman province of Asia heard the good news. It doesn't mean they believed, but right. it was buzz, huh. you know. Well, we'll come back around to that. Near the end of the interview here, I want to ask you about what you would say to different segments of Christianity today. Sure. Sure. Lots of those people, some of them listen to this podcast and all that. But I want to ask you, too, about something significant that happened in your life back in 2000. Yep. You almost died. I almost died. Tell me about that. Well, I, uh, I was 50 years old and um, thinking, you know, I was, I was four years into Church of the Open Door as the 10th senior pastor. 
I mean, ninth senior pastor. <laughs> I got the tenth senior pastor on my mind, and we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, as a ninth senior pastor, and uh, I got sick, and I went to uh, University Hospital at University of Southern California, and um, I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker, and. Um, it was on a Friday night. I still remember. It was, we called it Black Friday in our family, and I almost died. My uh, my kidney shut down. My liver shut down, and uh, we sent a prayer around the world. I didn't even know it because I was out of it. Obviously, uh, our elders came in and prayed over me, and we sent a prayer around the world. Please let Ed live and serve. And uh, God, I, so I have leukemia. And it's managed, it's chronic, so there's no cure. I still have it. Blood test proves it. We have people say, well, you've been healed. I want to be careful with the word healing. I have not been healed. The blood test says I still have it. However, uh, if there's healing in God allowing me to live, uh, then that part of the healing is true for me. Uh, But it almost got me in 2000. Then it almost got me again in 2003, I think it was. And uh, so I, you know, it's just a part of my life I... I go to USC probably twice a month and get blood tests, and it's a type of the, the leukemia I have attacks my skin. So my skin is in a constant state of some type of rebellion. You know? <laughs> um, so I just live with, a, I, I live with a chronic disease. It's been very good for my spiritual life, as you may imagine. I'd rather not have it. But I have it, and, and you know, that's the path God has for me. I wrote a book about it. Right. Uh, it was published by David C. Cook, When God Breaks Your Heart. And that was the first book I ever wrote. And, um, and I, think, you know, I think it's helped people who have been suffering. It comes off of John 11 and the conversation that Jesus had with Mary and Martha at Lazarus' grave. And that was, uh, there was one sentence there that absolutely captured my heart while I was going through all of this. And uh, God used that. To keep me encouraged, yeah. Because a lot of people deal with a lot of disappointment. With That's God right. Feeling like yep. he's let them down, or yep. not answered their prayers, yep. or given them direction in life, then he hasn't fallen or followed through, or something like that. Yep. So your book is sort of. Did you feel that sort of thing? Yeah, I did. I, I honestly did. I uh, I the reason I said when God breaks your heart was, uh, I mean I have it in the book. The night that Judy said, "Let's pray," and I just said, "You know." I don't want to pray right now. Hmm. And she said, why? And I said, look, I'm a father. And then my skin was falling off. It was miserable. I was in so much pain. And, and uh, I was just worn out. Physical suffering will wear you out. And you, yeah. you, you, think that you, you think things that you don't think you'd ever think. <laughs> and I just said, I don't want to pray, man. I, I'm a father. I wouldn't let this happen to my children. I don't understand why he's doing this. Hmm. And that was the genesis of this whole thing. Hmm. So how, okay, so you felt let down by God. A lot of people feel that way too. How did that affect your ministry going forward? You'd been at Church of the Open Door for four years at that point. I'd been at Church of the Open Door for four years, and as you may imagine, with a historic church, and it was a church that was very wounded. So when I came in, uh, uh, the once great and mighty Church of the Open Door that had been 4,000 people in downtown L.A. uh, at Sixth and Hope, Started Biola University. It's got, you know, Torrey, McGee. Uh, So we're up here on the hillside in Glendora, California. It's where we are now. And we're down to like 120 people. Hmm. And it was a very wounded church, a a very divided church. And I had come from a 
pretty tough pastoral experience <clears throat> where um, I, I had made some mistakes. And, um, you know, I, I just uh, a, a church split. And, and so I carried a lot of wounds from that. And uh, then what happened was, uh, what I found was I used to beg. I used to be in tears. I would go into, back then we didn't have our building. We met in, in an old gym on the property. And I would go in there on a, on a Saturday afternoon, and I would, I would stand next to the seat that some of the real divisive people would sit in on a Sunday morning. And I would literally weep. And I would beg God, please, God, please. Let's, please let us have some unity here. Mm. Please, could we please quit fighting? And we were fighting over, you know, they were fighting over music. They didn't like uh, some of the more progressive things that we were doing. And we had to do something because the church was dying, you know. Um, and what's interesting is I was really, really sick for about nine months. I really wasn't myself for about a year. So we brought in um, pulpit supplies, some of our mutual friends, Earl Rodmacher mm. came in, uh, Don Sanukian teaches at Talbot University, Dr. Charles Ryrie. Oh. They were bringing in these guys. And so uh, because of the historic, uh, I guess, profile of Church at the Open Door, they were happy to do it. And when I came back to Church of the Open Door and I started pastoring again, I'm, it was a different church. And I was a different pastor. So all of those things, you know, God used to grow me and to heal the church. And, and, I, and I, people will also often ask me, you know, what turned Church of the Open Door around? And I think we did some good things. I think we brought a re-emphasis, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. We, we bought, brought a re-emphasis to discipleship. Uh, we, we brought in maybe a newer emphasis on loving one another and building community. But what really was throwing the switches to make a lot of that possible, I, I believe, was me getting sick. Hmm. And uh, a lot of the people who were just like hard to deal with and they knew what they were against and they were going to cause trouble, they, other people started standing up to them. And uh, so I came back to a healthy church. Hmm. That was pretty cool. A lot of people, what you just described, I think, probably resonate. This uh, difficult, divisive church experience, right. maybe even divisive, difficult leadership teams in a church. And that sort of feeds into sort of your new yeah, direction in your ministry and life right now. So tell us a little bit about that. What's next for you? Where you're headed? What, what's going on in your church and your ministry and your life right now? All right. I went to the elders. Obviously, Church of the Open Door has, been, has had a pastor who's had leukemia for 16 years. And of those 16 years, I've had good years and I've had bad years. And 2013 and 14 and a lot of 2015, I was really struggling. And uh, my health was okay, but I knew that I just didn't have, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't thinking as clearly as I should. So I started a conversation with our elders and our staff back then. And I said, you know, we really need to be thinking about a transition. We ought to have a succession plan. And I have found myself over the years feeling very uncomfortable with the typical succession plan that uh, lead pastor, senior pastor resigns, then they go find their new guy. Um, I, I think that's real upsetting to the community. It's real disjointed. Usually from somewhere outside. Usually from somewhere outside. The way I would explain it is this. You know, I... I've been mentoring a young man in our church, and I don't know if he's the next guy. I, I, I think he should be, but that's not my decision. It's God's. 
and the elders and the churches. But he's been my co-pilot uh, for the last 10 years. I've been building into this young man. And he gets our community. He gets what we're about. So let's say we've been flying from LAX to Miami for 20 years. Uh, and we've had all the people in the church would be the people in the plane. And they come every Sunday, and we fly from LAX to Miami. Well, you bring in a new guy, and you say, we, this plane flies to Miami. And he might be, with all sincerity, thinking, that's what I want to do. I want to fly to Miami. And all the people love the way he talks about flying to Miami and love the way he answers questions and love the way he preaches. And then three weeks into this guy come in and he says, you know, I think we had to take this plane to Newark. <laughs> That's what happens. Right. Uh, so we are real intentional that uh, I would like to see us uh, transition. And so I am going to, as soon as possible, uh, I'm going to become an assistant pastor. I'll be the last guy you see on the website. I'll be right down there at the bottom. And I'm moving out of pastoral row where we have all the pastor's offices. I'm getting a little cubbyhole off to the side. And I'm going to be the pastor of uh, small groups and discipleship. It's really where my heart is. Community development, how to build leadership teams. And uh, for a couple of reasons. Another reason is I think young guys, I think younger leaders should be the ones casting vision because they're the ones that will live the vision. Uh, I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm a 35-year-old with three kids, I don't want a 66-year-old pastor telling me what the church should look like in 20 years. I want to I be a part of that decision because uh, I'm, I'm not going to live that vision. Hmm. I've lived my vision for Church of the Open Door. Church of the Open Door, Church of the Open Door has healed uh, we are sending missionaries again. Uh, we have grown some. We haven't grown a lot because that's not our priority. Our pri priority is to make disciples and to love one another. To make disciples and love one another and to build sustainable ministries. So I want to step aside from being the lead pastor and being the guy that, that's involved on all the decisions. I put it this way. I said I want to spend less time sitting around tables uh, making decisions, and I want to send, spend more time sitting, sitting around tables and living rooms, speaking into people's lives. So that's and that's part to... of your new direction now, too. Part right? of the new direction, not yeah. just pastoring now. Right. You're starting this ministry, recentered life. Yeah, recentered dot life. Yep. And uh, what what I want to do is uh, what I want to do with the rest of my life. Judy and I, my wife, is that I want to help. Uh, other churches, other faith communities. It doesn't have to be a church. It could be a parachurch organization. It could be a conference center. Uh, it could be a mission organization. I want to teach them. Uh, I, I don't want to be the guy who comes in and says, here's the theology that you should have. I, I did that at Church of the Open Door. I'm very settled with our theology. I feel real comfortable there. Uh, I don't want to even say, this is your vision. I, I mean, I, that's, that's their choice to make. What I want to be able to do is to come in and help them build cultures, leadership cultures, where that vision is sustainable. By that I mean they will stay together. Think about this, Jeremy. I've been there 20 years. Our worship pastor, Tom, has been there 21. Our, uh, our, the, our associate pastor, Dave, has been there 18. 
Everybody we have on staff has been there a decade. So we're sustainable. The people at Church of the Open Door, this is what I love about it. Those kids that are now getting married, they grew up in the church. When they, like when our, when our kids go to a, a Christian university, they come back and they say, wow, Ed, all of my friends are talking about these church fights and the firing of a pastor and, and how everybody's here and the church split there. Our kids don't know that story. I'm thinking, what a, what a way to live. And I want to help other churches do that. So they might have a theology that's totally different from mine. That's, it's not my vineyard to tend. I'm okay with that. They might have a vision that doesn't you know, push my button, but it's something that they're passionate about that they got from the Lord. What I can help them do is I can help them build a healthy leadership team. The most isolated, the most lonely people in the world are Christian leaders hmm. because they don't know how to do team. They don't know how to work together. They don't know how to build a culture that protects them from their weaknesses and releases them to their strengths so that they can lead in such a way that they're effective, but they quit abusing and wounding everybody. So that's what I want to do. And you're not just coming this from a theoretical perspective. You've lived this. You came oh, in there yeah. and there was, like you, you mentioned it, there's division oh, strife in the church and you're there praying and crying over the people. Oh, yeah. The places where, so, you know, sometimes you get these uh, church consultants or whatever and, and they... they haven't ever done it themselves. They I know just it. Are That's why, a... well, you know, you've been working with me. Yeah. To think of myself as a consultant, almost I almost break out in hives because <laughs> I'm thinking, well, these are the guys who don't know what they're doing, that it's all theory. Uh, I really do believe that I would be different. I, I yeah. would say I would be more, I would be thinking of myself as someone who partners with a senior pastor or, or partners with uh, a, someone who is leading a team on the mission field. And they said, man, I'm just so tired of the way we do things, we're just so worn out. We can't keep people. Hmm. You know, people quit, and we, we're always hiring somebody new. Do you know how much it costs to hire somebody new? It costs far less to fire somebody and hire somebody, I mean, far more to fire somebody and hire somebody new than it would be to invite me in and maybe help you rescue this team so that these people that you already love could become more effective. Hmm. And, and learn to love one another. So recentered.life is uh, the, the, the basic, the foundation is how do we recenter ministry on Jesus' two greats? The Great Commission, make disciples of all nations, which would mean that leaders have to actually start mentoring people <laughs> and building up into people and loving one another, which is not only giving love, but it's learning to receive love. And, you know, love is going to involve truth. It's going to involve some confrontation. It's going to involve some being, you know, being, doing life together. So now that's, that's what I want to do. I want to help them build sustainable leadership culture. So if they're on a mission team in Uganda that is passionate about reaching this tribe, this people group, or this geographical area, how can it be that we can get away from the typical missions team model 
where all these young seminarians and Bible student, Bible school graduates or people off the street who have a vision to go, they gather together and they give up everything and they move to Uganda and they sacrifice everything and they get malaria and they're, and they're, and they're loving these people and they're starting to have some impact, but they get in a fight with the other people on the team. They get abused by the leader, and they come home, and they give up, and they get a secular job, and we lose. And there's nothing wrong with a secular job, but it just means that there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way, and I believe that I don't have all the answers, but I can help them find a path that is a better way than eating each other up, being mad at each other, going to bed every night with, with all this turmoil, you know, feeling like you're going to throw up because you go to back to work the next day. Hey, here's a story. Do we have time for a story? Yeah, oh, yeah okay. we have time for anything. I'm a, a worship pastor that, uh, that I was discipling in Southern California. Came to me. He had just gone to an historic church, uh, much like Church at the Open Door. It was in the area like us, and he is a worship leader, and he came to me, and he said, Ed, uh, I'm here working for this new senior pastor in this historic church, and we, this place is just covered over with competition, and I'm like, okay, fine. So I meet with him for lunch, I'm trying to help them, and I said to the senior pastor, I said, tell me what's going on, and he said, here's how sick this is. We have a hallway of leaders. And we all have offices there. I've been there six months. And I noticed that the pastor, I won't say even what they, but these two pastors have responsibility in the church. They've both been there for a long time. Their office is right next to one another. They haven't spoken in 12 years. (laughs) Not one sentence. What? Not one sentence. He said, I would go to staff meetings and they would sit there and they would talk, but they would never make eye to contact. Or talk to each other. Or Oh, no. They would pass each other in the, wall, in the halls and look at the wall. Their wives absolutely hated, would not be too strong of a word, hated one another. And they both had their group. You know how it goes. Yeah. They both had their group of people who were all on their side. And uh, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. Uh. No. So, uh, you know, you can imagine why this is so disconcerting to the people. What I always say to, to church leaders is uh, the way you treat one another is going to tell people how you're going to treat them. And, boy, that's a deep need in Christianity today because if the pastor gets fired because he doesn't bring results or the pastor gets fired because he has a problem, the people are watching, they're going to think, well, I'll be marginalized as soon as they find out that I have yeah. something going on in my life. And then there's they don't want to be honest or open with the oh, struggles. Oh, you can't be. You got to hide. Temptations or their you got to hide. There's no way. There's no way. And that's part of what I do yeah. is I can help people. Uh, we have exercises that we go through, okay. and I spend time with them. I mostly begin by asking questions, uh, but um, we can start talking to people about why are you, you know what makes you afraid. Yeah, uh, they're on the website. We have these. I have questions right on the website. What depletes you? And I've done this in many places, and you'd be amazed at the answers we get yeah. of uh, 
you know, I, I, I feel, un, I, I, I don't feel like I can trust people. I feel like nobody cares about what I think. Yeah, I looked through those. I was ready to check off six or seven <laughs> yeah, myself. former pastor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll t- talk to a pastor. A lot of pastors listen to the podcast. And I know it's probably going to be different with every pastor, right? Yeah, Depending it really on their is. Needs yeah. or issues. So I know there's yeah. not a template that you're going off of or, you know, one size fits all. But if you had a pastor sitting mm-hmm. here at the table with us and he's dealing with, let's say, some of these leadership issues, or maybe he's dealing with, you know, he came into this church with all these dreams and hopes and visions right. of what his ministry would look like and what God would accomplish through this church, through his life, through his preaching, teaching, discipleship. Right. And none of it's happening. Instead, right. he's frustrated, burnt out. Where do you start? What would you say? Yeah, I, uh, and this is one of the things, and a lot of guys, you know, obviously uh, the, the real stumbling stone was Jesus Christ. But what I found is the stumbling stone when somebody asked me to come in is, I always say to the leader is, okay, now if we're going to do this, you have to go first. Mm. You, you start with the leader. Well, you have to go first. So let's just say, and this, this happened with me, a, a man by the ma- name of Bruce McNichol, uh, True Face Ministries, and, and I do a lot of work with True Face, and, and, and they're the ones that have taught me a lot of this. Uh, I did it on site in one church, so I have stories to tell about how this all worked. Uh, but this man, Bruce McNichol, when I first came to church at the open door, I was sharing with, with some of this with him, and he said, you need to get healthy. And I said, oh, Absolutely. Uh, that's what needs. This church needs to get healthy. And Bruce said, I still remember it. I was on the phone. I had my file drawer out and I was looking for something while I was talking and multitasking. And um, he said, no, Ed, I mean you. You have to get healthy. And so I would, I would say that to the pastor. I'd say, you need to get healthy. And if you're feeling overworked and abused and underappreciated, then what I would want to do is I would want to get together with you and your leaders and I bet you they're all feeling that way. And we would talk about that. And we would say, you know, you, we're all feeling unsafe. We're all feeling overworked. We're all feeling frustrated. So let's begin a process that would help us feel safe. Because until people feel safe, they're going to live hidden. And when they're living hidden, bad stuff comes out. And that's why you have these staff meetings and these elder meetings where... <clears throat> excuse me, everybody talks and they all say the right thing and do the right thing and then they have after meetings and they decide something else. Hmm. Okay, so what about that leadership team? Let's say it's a, let's change the scenario a little bit. You have this leadership team that brought in this pastor and they thought he was going to keep flying them to Miami and now he's wanting to take him to Newark. Right. And they're all upset. He right. thinks everything's fine if they just get on board and follow exactly. his vision. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah. But they don't. <laughs> right. Okay, so you can't really ask him to lead in becoming healthy cuz right. he just wants he thinks things are fine. So now this leadership team is now inviting you, but the pastor right. is not sure that he wants you to come. Right. Would you go to a situation like that? And if so, I mean, you don't want to be adding to yeah, I don't the wanna, I don't strife. Wanna, I don't want to blow places up. I, I think what I would want to do is, if, like, let's say some elders called me and said, yeah. hey, look, we got a young man in here, and, and he, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Um, 
and he's he, he's taking us to Miami. I mean, he's taking us to Newark, and we want to go to Miami. I would just say, um, would you mind if I talked to him and, and was really candid with him? And then what I would do is I would probably say to that young man, how much do you want your vision to happen? How much do you want your vision to happen? And, and I'm sure, because I've talked to a lot of young, I was a young pastor, and I, he's going to be very passionate about it. I would ask him, are you willing to submit your passion to the love of the community? That's, see, this is where the great commandment comes in. This is where the great commandment. In John 17, 20 through 26, uh, uh, Jesus says, the way that our message of the gospel is going to have impact in the world isn't because we're sinning less and doing more. And it isn't because we have a great vision and we can get people to follow it. It's because we love one another. Hmm. And so I would say to that young pastor, I would say, I think I can show you how not only to get where you want to go, but you can bring everybody with you. And probably what you're going to find out as you bring everybody with you is that God will probably be taking you to a different place that's even better than what you've thought of because nobody's thought of it. It's what the Spirit has in mind. But that will only happen as you process your vision in community. And I know a lot of pastors, this isn't what they've been learning. I think vision is one of the most dangerous teachings in the church today. I think a young man should have that vision, but I think that vision should be submitted to the community because it doesn't matter. You know, we both had Howard Hendricks at Mm -hmm. Dallas Seminary. I remember one day uh, a guy said to Howard Hendricks, I was in his discipleship group, and um, he was asking us, he was, we were introducing ourselves to Prof, and of course, we were all trying to impress him. And, and I did too. Yeah. Back then, I was really into evangelism, you know. And, I, and he said, well, okay, Ed, what are you? And he goes, I said, well, I'm in evangelism. And, you know, he goes, oh, that's good, that's good. But this one guy in the group, uh, he said, well, okay, buddy, what do you do? And he goes, I'm a leader. <laughs> Henrik said, you're a leader, huh? And, you know, as only prof could do. And he said, you're a leader. He goes, yep, I'm a leader. And he said, where are your followers? <laughs> the guy said, I don't have any yet. Oh. Hendrick said, son, that's not leadership. That's a walk in the park. <laughs> oh. So I think that's what I would try. to. I would try to love this young man. I'd probably meet with him and his wife. Hmm. And I would say, hey, look. You know, you're going to get everything you want in life. If you want to have impact for Jesus Christ in this community, God will give you that opportunity. And I'm going to help you. And I promise you, I will help you stand up to those who are just oppositional because they're oppositional. But you're going to have to love them well. Let's see what loving one another and opening the conversation up. Here's what you're going to find. Here's what this young pastor, even a pastor who's been a pastor for 10 years. If we could start the conversation, I will start the conversation with affirmation. And what I would want to say to those elders is, I would want to say, I want you guys to spend, let's say if I, if I flew in, I was with them for a weekend. I would give them a path to walk. I want you guys to spend about a month as elders and as elder couples. And I want you to think only about what you can affirm this young man in. 
How can you affirm him? What is it that you that he does really, really well? And typically with these visionary leaders, and I'm I'm all for being a visionary leader. I just think that when I think of it and I gotta get people to follow me and they're all wrong if they don't follow me, I don't think that's leadership. Mm-hmm. I think that's abuse. Wow. Um so uh, he, and, and I'm sure what they would say is, we love the way he teaches the Word of God. We love the way he's passionate. We love the way that he, he's a good decision maker. We love the way he dreams. And just spend a lot of time saying to that young man, this is why you're here. This is what we love. Affirming him. We're on your team. Talking about that. And then what I would say is, now, once you've done that, I want... The pastor will get together again. I might fly in again, or if they're in Southern California, I go spend. Now what I want the the pastor to do is, I want you all to do this, to sit around a table, and I want you to affirm one another. And I want you to say to this elder, that's what I love about you, man. You you really keep us on track financially. You know, you're the the guy who says, wait a minute, how are we going to pay for this? You know? so you talk all about those strengths for a while. And once I start feeling affirmed, and once I start feeling valued, then we'll change the conversation to, and it isn't, what is this young man doing wrong? It's not the elder saying to this guy, here's what you're doing wrong. This is the young man. I want to get him to the place where he is inviting the love of God coming through those elders. And he will say to them something like, what do you see in me that could undermine my ministry? Hmm. That's a whole different conversation. That is a whole different. What do you see in me that could undermine my ministry? And then what he's going to find is people might say something to him tearfully. They might say something we love you, but man, when you when you get wound up, it turns us off. It just turns us off. You scare us. That's the kind of stuff I need to know. Here's what happened. When I first started doing this, it was I think it was, let me see, my son, he's now a lieutenant colonel. And when he was a brand new lieutenant, he went to West Point. So he was class of 99, so however many years ago that was. So it's, in two, it's probably about 15 years ago. I started doing this. And my son was a lieutenant in the United States Army, about ready to go to war. And I did this with our staff, the staff guys at Church of the Open Door, who I had been with for five years by then. And I started this process. We did the affirmation. And then I said to them, I had to go first. And I said, um, what is there in me that... Would, might undermine my ministry. And they started telling me. I can be real honest with you. They said, here's what you do. Uh, you, you can get real defensive. And you can start cutting people off. Because you don't like it when the conversation isn't going your way. You'll steal the conversation and take it your way. Uh, you are so passionate about things that you just overwhelm us. You overwhelm us. You are, this is what they told me. They said, Ed, you're a very effective leader, but sometimes your reasoning is so profound and it is so uh, persuasive that I just feel stupid disagreeing with you 
even though I do, and I don't feel like I have a forum or permission to express that. So I went through this. I called my son, and I said, hey, Bob, I wonder what you think about this. So here he is, West Point grad, lieutenant in the United States Army. I said, these are what these guys are saying about me. What do you think? Because, you know, it was hard to receive. And he started laughing. And he said, Dad, these guys are so on to you. His next sentence, I'll never forget, Jeremy. His voice kind of broke, and he said, I wish you would have had friends like that when I was a little boy. Hmm. Boom. That's what loving one another does. It protects us from our weaknesses. I wounded that boy because nobody, I'm, I'm sure I was doing that to my son, overwhelming him with all my reasoning, you know, and giving him a three-point sermon and, and, and not giving him room to breathe. If someone would have grabbed me by the arm and said, hey, Ed, I love you, but man, you got to stop this. You're going you're gonna to destroy this kid. And, you know, some people did that finally. But that's what's at stake. What I would want to say to the board and to that young pastor is, you guys have a lot more here than you ever imagined, but it isn't going to be to get your way. God has a better way. Neither one of you are going to get your way. Right. But he has a better way, and I can help you find that by you learning to value one another and to listen to one another and to love one another and not only say hard truths, but to receive hard truths. Hmm. Wow. That's fantastic. What about the congregations? Do you, do you, would you work with congr- in a congregational setting? I mean, a lot of people sitting in the pews, in the chairs, yeah. they've been hurt and wounded by church. So if a leadership team maybe, I mean, I, you, you come in and you'd help the whole package. Sort of I would help thing. the whole package. What I would do is I would probably, I'd, I'd want to first meet with the leadership team. And I want to set the groundwork. I'd want the leadership team to be buying into this. And then I'd be more than happy to come and do a weekend uh, series or to come in, uh, you know, since I'm stepping aside as a senior pastor at Church of the Open Door, I'll have weekends. And I could come in and I could do a series. I could do four weeks in a row. It'd be something like, let me tell you what's happened to your leaders. And I promise you, picture yourself. You're sitting in the pew. And somebody comes in from the outside and says, your leaders have decided that the highest priority is to love one another and love you well. Yeah, you're not going to say, well, I'm going to quit coming to this church. I don't have any vision. <laughs> you know? People would love to hear that. I of think. course they would. Yeah. Why do people come to church? They want to find Jesus. They, they want to find community. Um, they they, they want to be better parents. They, they, they want to make a difference at work. Right. And the only way that happens is through the love of Christ transforming us. Hmm. I'm sure you're aware there's a whole segment of Christianity today that has... <clears throat> they're still followers of Jesus. Right. Um, but they don't attend a church necessarily. Yeah. They, they still consider themselves to be part of the church. Right. Um, still call themselves Christians, pray, maybe they fellowship or not. And I'm not talking about house church either. I still consider that as uh, it's just a different way of you know attending a church. So I'm talking about people... You mean like in the New Testament, house churches? Yeah, sort of like that. No, <laughs> I'm, like talking that. To, I'm talking about people who uh, 
still consider themselves Jesus followers. Right. Right. Um, but don't attach themselves in right. any way, shape, or form to any congregational house church, big church, middle right. church, any, any, you know, nothing past that sort of group. So there's lots of those people out right. there. Um, and, and a lot of them listen to this podcast. That's why I'm asking this question. Okay. What would you do, do? You have something to say to that group from your perspective? Yeah, I think I do. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I might not have any credibility with them because I've dedicated my life to the local church. That's what I, I believe in the Bride of Christ, and I believe that it is more than mystical. I think that it's local, and I think that it has it's face to face. I really do. So a house church, I, I don't care if it's a house church or whatever it is. Uh, I, I think what, what I would say to them is, and I met a lot of these, when I wrote Reborn to be Wild, uh, one of the most fascinating parts of Reborn to be Wild was that I reconnected with some of these iconic Christian rock people from the Jesus movement. And a couple, and one of them said to me very honestly, he said, you know, I've been used by pastors and I've been used by Christians for too long. And uh, so two or three together, that's me, man. That's all I care about. Here's what I would say to them is that there are uh, three influencers that God has designed to come into our life. One, obviously, is the Word of God. You and I went to Dallas Seminary. We get that. I absolutely get that. And right. I will never... Uh, I will never... Uh, minimize the impact of the Word of God. Uh, that's, you know, I've read your w website. You're all about that. I'm all about that. Yep. I think careful interpretation of Scripture is absolutely essential. I, like you, I'm a warrior for the gospel of grace. Yes. I absolutely embrace that, not just in justification, but in sanctification, right. that we've been made new in Christ and all that. And I love to have theological debates with people and maybe change their minds. So the Word of God is an influencer in my life. Uh, the Spirit of God is an influencer in my life and in yours. We've had talk. I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'll take no. all the power of the Holy Spirit He'll ever give me, all the influence He'll ever <laughs> give me. Um, so those are two. And a lot of so I would say to these people that um, they get that, and, and 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 I'm happy that they're getting the influence of the Word of God and the influence of the Spirit of God. What I would say is that they're living, so if you view it as a triangle, they've got, a, they've got the third part of it that is a powerful, powerful, powerful influence that they have decided that they're not going to let that influence into their lives. And that is the body of the Christ, the body of Christ, which is the church. And I'm not talking about the buildings, and I'm not talking about the organizations, and I'm not talking about the business meetings and all of that. And I get it. I mean, church is messy. You know, if, if I was going to write a, a church history, I'm not a church historian, but if I was going to write a, a book on church history, the title would be Jesus Wept. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> write it. Come on, write it. And that would be all of church history, and that would be the, the, the title of any local church history. Uh. Because we hurt one another. We're, we're, we're frail, and, and you know, it just, it's just what we do. So here's what I would say is... That the gospel saved me from my sin. The word of God can save me from my sin. The spirit of God can save me. In concert can save me from my sin. 
the people of God can save me. And I want all these people. I think they call themselves Duns. Duns, yeah. That's yeah. The la- well, I don't know if they call themselves that. Oh, that's, that's what other people call that's them. That's the label. It's a brand new word. Yeah, brand oh, new. Of the course, Duns. As a pastor, I've said it a thousand times. I'm done with church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I would say that the people of God save me from myself. Hmm. That there are parts of my life that the Spirit can't get to. We've talked about when God breaks your heart. Peter says, the Spirit gets my attention through suffering. And that's something that just happens. But there are parts of my life that God can only get to me through community, through the body of Christ. And what I would say to these people, if you could just, I, don't, I mean, I really, I, I just think you should, if you could risk trusting God and not I think there, I really do believe there are authentic communities, uh, authentic faith communities, not perfect churches. And I'll say, you know, someone will come to church to the open door and they will say, man, I love it here. I was hurt. I was wounded by church. And first thing I'm going to say to them is, we're going to wound you. you. You know we're going to wound you. I might wound you. But here's what I, here's what I know. We will also speak into your life. We will also support you. We will also love you when your kids spin out. We will love you when life doesn't make sense. But we're probably going to say some things that hurt you and we won't mean to. That Some things are going to happen here that you don't like. But this is part of being in community. Um, so I just think there's an invitation to accept God's love that comes from other people. Because if you and I, Jeremy, we know each other pretty well. Mm. But if you and I are doing life together, I promise you the Holy Spirit is going to start saying to you, and this is something in Ed that I don't think he, I don't think he really knows this is what he does. And if we're building communities that are safe and where the truth is being invited, not places where you know, people say, I got a word from the Lord from you. You quit doing this. I just mean somebody saying, hey, I love you. I've been watching the way you talk to your wife. Um, I just got to tell you, it feels a little disrespectful to me, and, and I don't think it's going to end good uh, for you. I, can I help you? That's, I need that. And, and so that's what I think. Plus, besides that, there's something about corporate worship. I don't care if it's in a living room or in a big auditorium. There's something about a group of people together in the presence of God, having the Lord's table that is very powerful that Jesus wants in our life. Um, there's something about cross-cultural ministry. There's something about doing justice in the world that we can just do better if we're in larger groups. So that's what I would say to them. I would, I, you know, I would love for them to say, hey, okay, then we're going to start six house churches in, you know, Missoula, um, Montana or wherever. And could you come and help us? I'd love to come help them. And, and maybe help them so the six house churches wouldn't become like a lot of house church movements that are run by one person. Everybody has to, you know, yeah. the way it goes. Yeah. yeah. So you would even, if there's a group of Duns, friends, want to invite you in and, and uh, speak into their lives? I'd love to do that. that I'd love awesome. for them to, to help them try to think, well, what's going on in this culture? Where could we have impact? Mm. Where do you, where, what are the neighborhoods? Where, yeah, I'd love to do that. Mm. Yeah. Good. We're almost done. I got one or two more questions. One question that I always try to ask in all my interviews, or at least I will. I've only done a couple of these. Uh, this is a theology podcast. Right. So I, I sort of feel like the people I talk to, and I see this in my own life as well, um, that there's some sort of 
guiding principle or, or like one thing, if there was one thing, one truth, one idea that has just taken hold of your life, consumes everything you think and say and do, is sort of in the background behind everything that has, or maybe just one insight that has really transformed your life, changed your life, everything about you, who you are, how you go about following Jesus, leading, ministry, everything. One thing, what would it be? Oh, one thing. Well, I think what recentered, that wouldn't be the one thing, but recentered is that if, when it comes to the, what Jesus wants me to do, if I can pour, do the Great Commission and pour into a few lives that would multiply and then multiply and then multiply that whole, uh, you know, Second Timothy 2 2 thing. The then, discipleship thing. The discipleship, yeah, yeah, the Great Commission, and then loving one another. Mm. Um, if I can um, measure my righteousness, my, not by uh, what I'm doing for Jesus or how I'm managing my sin, but how I'm loving others, not just Christians, but non-Christians. That's what really Jesus says, that's the measure of your righteousness. And it's not just giving love, it's receiving love. Uh, but what I would say is that uh, there have been uh, a, a number of revivals in church history. Not a lot, but there have been a number of revivals. I was a part of the last one. Uh, and of all the revivals, you know, the Great Awakening, um, uh, ours had the best name. Right. The Jesus, the Jesus movement. movement. And what I would say is that, uh, and you have I talked about this, the gospel of Christ is far more powerful than I ever imagined when I first trusted Christ. Or even when I became a warrior for the gospel. Uh, because back then it was all about going to heaven when we die. Mm. And I get that. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful promise that God will never go back on. He's a promise keeper. He never goes back on a promise. But uh, not just Romans 1 through 4, but Romans 5 through 8. Yeah, sanctification. The sanctification. But grace in sanctification. That uh, Romans 6, 14, uh, sin shall therefore have no mastery over you, for you're not under law but under grace. Uh, the sin shall have no mastery over you. That's not an imperative. Hmm. It's not in the imperative mood in the Greek text. It's in the indicative mood. Hmm. And you know the indicative mood is the mood of reality. That's not Paul saying, hey, you dirty little sinners. Sin shouldn't master you anymore. He's saying, hey, I have good good news for you. It's not who you are anymore. Hmm. Your reality is now that you've been made new. So I think that what I would say is my identity in Christ and the power of the gospel not for something that I strive for, but something that I live out of. Live out of who I am in Christ. That through all the things that Judy and I have been through, our, uh, you know, losing the church plant that we poured our life into, uh, all of the troubles at Church of the Open Door, cancer, uh, family problems, my, my daughter's broken heart over a husband that abandoned her, my son going to war three times. Uh, what I would say is, uh, that uh, I have only, <laughs> I get really emotional when I say this, I have only ever known love from Jesus. Hmm. I have only ever known love from him. He has never let me down. Even when, when God breaks your heart, <laughs> you know, I thought he had. Yeah. So many people need to hear that. I think a oh, lot don't of people... They? 
feel like they're getting a lot of things from Jesus that are not love. Right. It's coming from some other source or they're they're misunderstanding. Yeah, measure up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We always receive love from Jesus. This might be a sample. This might be something we do in a later podcast. But I think there are whole segments of our society, and we'll get into that later, uh, that we as evangelicals have told that whole segment of our society, I'm sorry, uh, Jesus' love is for people like us, not for people like you. Oh, so but we sad. can get into that later. Yeah, we'll have to do another podcast on this. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's all I have. Do you have anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to say to the audience? No. Anybody I, I listening? Think, yeah, I just think that uh, um, I'm Judy and I are more excited. I would say two things about Church of the Open Door. I said this to the, uh, to the congregation when I told them I'm going to be stepping aside. I'm more excited about Church of the Open Door. I think the future of, the open, of Church of the Open Door, uh, the best days for Church of the Open Door are ahead of us. And I think for Judy and me, you know, in this season of life, we have our 60s and our 70s. And I think this is going to be a season where we can have impact in communities that, uh, that God has called us to help communities get healthy. And I'm real excited about that. I'm really, really excited about that. I am too. It's so yeah. needed in the church today. How yep. can people, if they want to contact you, find out more about you, read some of your stuff, where can they go? At Underwood.com uh, is a place where all the Bible teaching and uh, a lot of topical things are there. But specifically for uh, this whole Recentered.life ministry, where this ministry that we're in to help people, we'll help individuals. Uh, I'm thinking of writing uh, an ebook. The Recentered Life, helping individual Christians. What would happen if you changed the priorities of your life to making disciples and loving other, loving one another? But also in in, uh, in on church teams, leadership teams, ministry teams, uh, on Recentered Life, and we're launching that, and I'll begin posting on that. In just a few weeks. Good. Okay, so yep. edunderwood.com, recentered.life. Recentered.life. Lots of people may not know this, but there's a lot of new uh, domain names that have opened it up. It used right. to be just .com, .org. Anyway, .org. that's what the .life is. There's nothing yeah. that comes after and that. And I chose that. Yeah. I chose that you .life because I, yeah. uh, I thought, well, that's so cool. I yeah. didn't know there was a .life. Yeah. And also well, that's perfect what this podcast is to theology.fm. Oh, really? .fm is the new one. .fm. Yeah, there you so go. Anyway, theology.fm. All right, so recenter.life, edunderwood.com. And then you got a bunch of books on Amazon. Yeah, I have uh, When God Breaks Your Heart, which is about the whole struggle with, uh, with cancer. And, and uh, then I have Reborn to Be Wild, an insider's view of the Jesus movement. And then the last book I wrote is called The Trail. It's an allegory. And I have found eight principles on how to discover God's will. I never meant to write a book on how to discover God's will. But for 40 years, I've been doing exposition. And over those 40 years, I would be teaching a passage. Some of them are very familiar passages. And I would think, wow, that's a, that's a passage about God's will. And I noticed eight principles. And so I, I surfaced these eight principles and I put them into an allegory uh, about... Uh, uh, a trip in the high Sierras, but it teaches people. It's called The Trail, and it's uh, published by Tyndale. Okay, and you have links to all this on Ed Underwood. It's all on edunderwood.com. Yeah. Okay. Probably there. And then, of course, you have a podcast as well. Have a podcast. Right now, the podcast is in the book of Galatians. Mm-hmm. And it's an expositional, ex- exposition. verse by verse. Uh, yep. yep, and it's got notes on there. Yep. Uh, if they, you know, so if somebody wants to do it, it's a free online commentary. 
I have Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians. I've taught every book of the Bible. So, uh, yeah, it's a free online commentary for most of those. Okay. And they're sure welcome to use any of it. It's all have a, a discipleship tool, Beginning in Grace, that they can just load right from edunderwood.com and go make disciples. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll be featuring a lot of your podcasts in future yeah. on, on theology.fm. You've oh, given that'd be me great. permission yeah. to do that. So yeah. people who subscribe to theology.fm will be getting samples. Not everything. That'd be great. It'd be great to that, get to meet them. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. that will be good. We'll... Um, uh, include several of those. So. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Good. That's cool. Well, thank you, Ed. You bet. Thank you, you very bet. much. Appreciate your time. We'll have to do it again. Yep, we will. All we right. will. Okay. Bye. Don't you just love Ed? <laughs> You can just hear his heart coming through his voice. He just has that wonderful voice, wonderful insight, and definitely a heart for God following Jesus. And I love his heart for people. People are hurting and struggling all over the world, and especially those who are on leadership teams in churches. You wouldn't think, usually they're the ones you think that they have it all together. You sort of think of uh, you know board meetings and elder meetings as just being places of unity and prayer and, and camaraderie and community, and, and very often isn't. There's very often a lot of nastiness that goes on in those. And so I love the new direction that Ed is headed in his life, taking his life, uh, his ministry, the things he's learned from Scripture, uh, and applying them, helping other leadership teams around the world, around the country, just grow in unity and love for one another. Uh, if that's you, if you want his help, his insight, go to recentered.life to learn more. You can connect with Ed that way. Also, I highly encourage you to subscribe to his podcast, Discipleship You Podcast. I'll be featuring some of his episodes here on theology.fm in the future, so make sure you stay tuned and listen to those. You will love them. These are uh, sermons he preached at Church of the Open Door over his many years of ministry there. I'll tell you more about that in the future. Uh, also, I'm pretty excited about some things I've got going on in my own life, my own ministry over at RedeemingGod.com. Please make sure you subscribe. Go to RedeemingGod.com slash subscribe to get the updates as soon as they come out. By the time this podcast episode airs, either my new direction will be have just been announced over there or I'm just a couple days away. So don't delay. Go over to RedeemingGod.com slash subscribe. Enter your name, your email address, click the button, and I'll send you a free ebook. I'll also send you some updates and a bunch of exciting news about some new directions I'm taking there at redeeminggod.com. If you have enjoyed learning this way here at Theology.fm, the podcast we put out, the sermons, just this audio sort of approach to learning scripture, learning theology, then you will really like what I'm doing over there at redeeminggod.com. So again, subscribe, get the updates when they come out. And uh, thanks for listening to Theology.fm. I really hope you enjoyed this discussion I had with Ed. If you did, make sure you stay tuned here to Theology.fm because I will have more of his teachings from the book of Galatians in the near future. Anyway, thanks for listening. I really uh, hope your fall goes well as you're looking into sending your kids off to school or whatever your fall faces. Most of all, I hope that these discussions that we have here on Theology.fm help your life and theology look ever more like Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.